Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend here at Milestone. I want to welcome those of you at our McKinney campus, those of you at our Hazlitt campus, those of you watching online, maybe those of you at a video venue or watching later. Would you join me in welcoming them? Good to have you guys with us. So excited to continue this miracle series, but I got to say, as a church family at all of our campuses, we are so proud of you because from the very beginning... Following Christ has not been about just coming into an environment and watching someone on a platform speak and observing from a distance and then saying, well, that was nice. It's about you jumping in the game and taking steps. And so that's why we ask you to join small groups, not because we we don't think you're busy or that you're looking for things to do, but because the value in our relationship with Christ is directly tied to our ability to actually live it out. And when we gather together in groups, We give ourselves the best opportunity to actually live out this message of Jesus. I think about Andrew and JT. Andrew's been inviting JT for a while to come to weekend services, and JT came, and he's like, that's good, and he's like, would you come to me with my small group? He's like, what is that? I didn't even know that was a thing. And he came, and and this week he said, man, it's amazing how each time I come with you, Andrew, it has so much to do with what's happening in my life. And isn't that a great picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Andrew doesn't have to know everything about the Bible. He doesn't have to be a full-time pastor. He doesn't have to have every answer that JT might ask. All he has to do is say, man, I'm willing to help somebody else. Let's take a step together. I think about Lauren and Lacey. Lacey wanted to lead a small group for the very first time, but she was nervous, felt a little intimidated. Lauren's like, I'll lead with you. They met this week. Seven women joined with them in a group, and God is moving in those kind of environments. So in every setting, at every location, keep taking steps together because the relationships, the encouragement, the prayer that you're looking for, it's found in those settings. So we're in this series on miracles. We serve a God of miracles. We read a Bible that's filled with miracles. You're like, what is that? What's a miracle? Well, a simple definition is really just a miracle is when this holy, other, uncreated, eternal God supernaturally shows up in our lives. So grateful that we serve a God that's not an idea, that doesn't exist in in dusty history books, but he shows up in your life and my life, and every time that happens, it's a miracle, it's supernatural, and really no one did more miracles than Jesus. And so we've been each week looking at a different miracle of Jesus to understand what it meant then and what it means now and what it shows us about who God is and, and how he's made it possible for you and I to live. And this week's miracle is probably a miracle that at some level it'll be hard for us to relate to, but in many other ways, it's just like you and I. Because really we're looking at a miracle this week about a group of people who felt on the outside. They felt unwelcome, they felt left out. Now I know in our context, in the communities that we live in, you guys are achievers, you're goal-oriented, you crush your atomic habits, you got all the things, you keep goals and you close rings and you, I get it, I'm right there with you. You're, you're competitive, you're successful, you're, you're goal-driven, you're, you're even affluent and many of us comfortable. And a lot of times the motivation to be all those things is to prove to somebody, I am good enough, I am strong enough, I am successful, I do have worth. 
Because no matter how successful you are, somewhere, somewhere along the way, someone's gonna say to you, you're not welcome here. You're not good enough. We don't want you. And the question becomes, in those moments, how do we respond? I think some of it has to do with our personality. Some of it has to do with our experience. I was thinking about it this week and reflecting about how we as a culture respond in those moments. I think it's changed over time. I'm a kid of the 80s. I don't know if any other Gen Xers out there. It was a different era, let's just be honest. It was savage growing up in the 80s. It was like the Hunger Games all the time. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Do you remember when Whitney Houston sang, I believe the children are the future? Now we're like, of course she sang that. Well, she sang that because no one believed it. It's like, well, kids are just kind of part of life. They're there, they're kind of out there. You know, as a kid in the 80s, you just grew up, people told you, you're never gonna amount to anything. Be like, whoa, that was rough. It's good for them, it makes them tough, helps them grow up. They just told us that all the time. Coaches, teachers, parents, different people. It's just part of life. And so when you get that all the time, you're like, how do I respond to that? Well, it kind of explains Kurt Cobain and Ice Cube, but it also helps us. We, we, it was just different. Let's, we changed some of the rules, right? Let's be honest. A lot of us helicopter parents were Gen Xers because it was different. You go to Little League now, there's no outs. Everybody gets a trophy. When we played Little League, everybody, everybody would be like, easy out, other parents. Scoot in, easy out. Your own parents would be like, yeah, he's an easy out, you know, whatever. <laughs> Teachers today, they don't give Ds, they don't give Fs. People just give those out like breathmans. Take a D, take a F, you earned it. You probably better look into manual labor. This education thing isn't gonna work out for you. Why did the government institute no child left behind? Children were getting left behind. So, you know, we changed the rules. We've made society nicer. You probably has, Lit McKinney, you understand. One of the things that we did too to try to make ourselves feel better is we've really gotten into pets. We're pet people everywhere, right? And, and you know, some people, are, I don't get it, but some people are like bird people or fish people or lizard people or snake people. People like pets, right? That's, pets make us feel loved and seen and valued. And as a parent, you know, you don't even really get a choice. You're gonna have pets. We've had a lot of fish and we all know where they get flushed. And, and um, you know, you've had, we had hamsters and they escaped and so, one day the kids were like, Dad, can we have a dog? And I'm, I never really thought of myself as a dog person. You know, dogs were different as a kid in the 80s too. Let's be honest, like the dog was kind of there, but he wasn't in family pictures. <laughs> he, he didn't have like matching outfits or a special room in the house or like gourmet organic food. We've gone a little crazy, guys, we just have. But you know, I, I didn't have a choice. My kids were praying, they're like, Dad, can we have a dog? And so I was not a dog person, but I was like, okay, I'm trying to be a good dad, so let's pray about it. And the Lord said, you should have a dog. So we brought home little Coco, and I haven't really talked about Coco ever publicly since the last August because, you know, I, I didn't really like him. He barked and he was loud. He, he, he's, you know, he just was what he was. He's like the glorified stuffed animal, and so, um, they got him, you know, we promise we'll take care of him all the time and that lasts for about three days. And then, so me and him spent some time together and so I got closer to him and he had this issue, he's a little guy, you know, he's a little insecure and, and so he had to go through Freedom Weekend like every day and I'd say, you're strong, buddy, you're strong. And he'd be like, mm, 
and I'd be like, you are strong. And then next door, a German shepherd moved in who was hyperactive and he jumped over the fence. Coco got intimidated, had submissive peeing, he wore a diaper. But we loved him. And so I, I didn't know like this little guy's like, oh, dog, man's best friend, he loves you. He did, every time, you know, I'd come home, the kids would be lined up to say, hey dad, and he'd be there like, can I have some love? And I'd be like, man, I'm giving out a lot, but okay, here you go, Cokes. And then he passed and I was like, oh man, it jacked me up. My, my wife was worried about me. She, she got me like special books and things to read to help me. And, and it, some, somewhere it gets in your heart and it's just like, man, I could remember after he was gone, hearing the little jingle jangle of his collar in the house, even when it wasn't there. This little guy became part of my heart. And I was like, man, I don't, so Sarah's like, should we get another dog? I was like, I don't know if I could do that again. You know how this goes. The kids start praying and so now we got a little, look at our little London gentleman, Winston. <laughs> with his little snaggle tooth. You're like, get a dog, it'll make you feel loved and valued and welcomed. I give a, a lot of love. I don't know how much I get in return. But, but, but we do this because we wanna feel loved, we wanna feel valued, we wanna feel seen, and we do it in different ways. I don't know how you respond, but here's what I know. Somewhere, somewhere along the way, you've been hurt, you've been felt like I don't belong, like I'm not good enough. And if we were really honest, somewhere along the way, you've, in reaction maybe to that pain, you've told someone else, you don't belong, you're not good enough. If you think about it, that really explains most of our middle school experience, right? Like, Someone telling us to that and then us turning around and telling someone else. What, what does Jesus say to the person on the outside? I think a lot of times, maybe you didn't grow up in church, maybe in Hazlitt or McKinney, this is your first time. We're so glad you're here and you're like, I don't know anything. And, and we're so glad and don't worry about it. You're the exact person we're glad to have with us this weekend. And, and here's what I wanted to show you about Jesus. Jesus wasn't like, how dare you come to a gathering? How dare you come here? How dare you talk with me? He was the exact opposite. He went to the person that no one thought should be talked to. He, he went and had dinner with tax collectors and people who were sick and people with infectious diseases and people who were well known for living lives that weren't righteous. He went to them because look what he said in Luke 5, 31. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. What does Jesus do for people who feel on the outside, who feel not good enough, not welcome, not that they've done enough good things? He goes to them because he loves them. Every week in the series, our team went to Israel to, to give you a sense of what it really looked like in those moments and those stories. And today's story, in just a moment, Pastor Jeff's gonna share it with us, comes from a road right outside of Jerusalem. We're gonna go watch this video, and then I'll come back and talk to you about what it means for our lives. I want to tell you a story about an amazing miracle that took place on a road much like this from Galilee to Jerusalem. You see, many times most people would travel through three main travel routes, three main roads, two of which were 
a lot safer and went more to the outside of Samaria, but one went right through the center. You say, why is it important to note that? Well, the Sumerians were from an ethnic standpoint, from a racial standpoint, from a religious standpoint, they were viewed as outsiders and not as acceptable, but Jesus was always going to these type of people. And as he made that route through Samaria, an amazing miracle happened when he ran into 10 men, not just 10 ordinary men, 10 men who had leprosy. I want us to look at this passage in the book of Luke. Luke 17, 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and he was going into a village. 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So what's the significance of this particular miracle? Well, these men had leprosy, and leprosy was not just defined by that specific disease. In this time, it could be any type of skin condition, but it was definitely very contagious. So they were quarantined, they were put in a separate place. They also would have, maybe even what is amazing about the miracle is that it could attack the vocal cords, they could lose their voice, they would lose many times even the use of or the, literally have to have their extremities removed. Ultimately, it was resulting in death, wasn't curable. So what's important? Why did they stand at a distance? Well, that was the way they had lived their life, at a distance, an outsider, quarantined, isolated and alone. You know, when you look at sometimes these miracles, you kind of see them in such a distant place in a faraway place in a separate place. But when you think about walking along a road and being a person who totally felt on the outside, not only socially, I think many of us can relate to feeling left out or feeling like we don't measure up. But another thing is medically. There, there's nothing like a, a medical issue to affect your emotions, to bring emotional pain to us. But in this time period, if you had some type of disease, you were viewed as if you were being punished by the gods. If you were healthy, then you were blessed. And if you were sick, then you were obviously doing something wrong and not accepted by the gods. When Jesus sees them, he recognizes not only by going to the place no one else would go, he goes to the people that everyone else had forgotten. And Jesus says something pretty crazy when he says, go show yourself to the priests, that they would have headed to Jerusalem to go see a group of people that would have been ceremonially uh, totally bound to the the, the rituals and practices of staying clean and 
being around a leper would have made them unclean. And so this was just an out of the box uh, thing that Jesus is asking. But it says, as they went, they were healed. I want us to unpack that together. In fact, I began to think about it being here in this place. I began to even think about another miracle that they may have known and definitely people in that time would have known because it was one of Elisha's most famous miracles is that there was a king of a neighboring country whose wife was actually from Samaria and they, he sent his servant to go ask Elisha because he heard about his healing power. This, this king had leprosy and he, he went to Elisha and Elisha said, go dip in the Jordan seven times and you'll be cleansed. He said, that's a crazy idea but his servant actually talked him into it. And on the seventh time he dipped in the Jordan, he was healed. What, what are we seeing? We're seeing that uh, Elisha and then through Jesus, we're, we're seeing God has this compassionate desire to reach to those that are feeling left out and forgotten and on the externals. But we also see that, that God many times asks us to do something that's totally counterintuitive and totally outside of our natural or rational understanding. So as they went, they were healed. As they took a step on the path that you see, the road that you see, they, they kept taking a step, one foot in front of the other. As they went, they were healed. Another part of the story though, that I think we should really unpack, that, that, I, that really I'm drawn to is this idea that that one of them came back and gave praise to God and was grateful. Well, what was it about that one? It says that he was a Samaritan. And so when you feel the most left out and the most on the outside, it generates in you when God touches your life, it, it generates in you a gratefulness and a thankfulness. I, I want us to look at this miracle story and I want us to look at those thoughts as they went and the one came back and praised God. I want us to think about how that applies to our lives. So many things happening in this miracle story. It might be easy to think, well, the real message of what's happening here is Jesus is telling us to be kind or to be nice to people who are not like us. And the truth is, there's so much more happening than that in this story. I, I think if we're honest, most of us could say like the motivation to just try to be kind and to be nice to people, though valuable, isn't really lasting. It really probably is only as lasting as the circumstances in our life are good. I think really what Jesus is saying is, he's not denying reality. These men had leprosy. They weren't quarantined because it was like, we don't like you or we don't wanna be around you. They were quarantined because it was genuinely dangerous. It was highly contagious. It could have put into serious jeopardy the entire village. And so they were on the outside. But what I think Jesus is really doing for the disciples, for the, for the men themselves who are healed, for us who read the story later today is what he's really trying to say to us is our biggest problem is we don't see this situation right. When we look at someone who's sick, when we look at someone who's on the outside, when we look at someone that we perceive as being different or dangerous, the assumptions, the way that we interpret the meaning of what that looks like in our lives is wrong. 
We showed you the map there. Three times a year at least, a devout Hebrew man, a devout Israelite, if they were from where Jesus was from, up in the north, they would travel at least three times a year to go to Jerusalem. And so they had to take a long journey Depending upon which route they took, the journey would take a different amount of time. If they went on the outside, it was, more, it was much longer. It was over a week in many times. If they went down that middle road and went past Samaria, it would only take three to four days. Now, that journey, though, because of their tradition, because of their cultural background, because of the way they thought about Samaria, they didn't want to be around them. They didn't want to be next to them because they were other. They were different. They were on the outside. They were a group of people who had, who had compromised their faith. And so to be devout in their minds was to stay away from people who didn't believe what they believed. Where does that instinct come from? I, I think all of us, if we're honest, could admit, whether here at Keller or there in Hazlitt, we, we have that in us too. We can go, well, I'm a good person. I make good choices. I see things right. Those other people don't. And what Jesus is really after is, do you see things right? Do, do you really understand the, the nature of your situation before a holy God? Do, do you really see? I love that about the disciples. Jesus kept them with them and they always got it wrong. When he asked them questions, they would have the wrong answer. They would even be brazen and confident even though they were wrong, but he didn't give up on them. He just kind of quietly and lovingly kept taking steps. He does the same with you and I. He does the same with me. The other night I was thinking about this. I, I don't know who it is for you that you feel like it's on the outside, separate from the things of God, but I was thinking about this on Monday night when I was watching football. Um, no, no one else, I guess, thinks that way when they're watching football. I, I do, or at least I'm honest enough to say that I do. There's a certain character that you may know. His name's Aaron Rodgers. He and I have a 20-something year relationship. He doesn't know we have a relationship, but we have a relationship. I, I first remember hearing about Aaron Rodgers when I was in college. He was a junior college quarterback who transferred to a school that happened to be a rival with my school. In the first game of prominence he played, he beat my team and kept us out of the national championship in overtime. And so I have a little bit of what you might call unresolved issues. Now, Later, when he was number four in the nation and we were number one, we beat them, and my daughter was there. It was her first football game. It was powerful. And so we, we've worked it out. But one of the things about Aaron is Aaron's, he's prideful. He's successful. He's arrogant. He, and some of that is because he has a chip on his shoulder because when he got drafted, they thought he was going to be the first pick. But he wasn't the first pick. He wasn't the second pick. He wasn't the 10th pick. He got drafted way down in the 20s. It was embarrassing. And so his entire career has been, I'll show you how good I am. So he has that chip on his shoulder. So unless he's for your team, you probably don't like him, which I don't. And so um, <laughs> Monday night, after a long career with one team and a lot of drama, he switches to this other team. If you don't follow football, it's the Jets, who perennial losers, you know, like the Jets ever, anything ever good happening to the Jets would be a, a miracle for the miracle series. And <laughs> kind of like the Cowboys. And so, okay. I, I said that last night in one of our other pastors. Goes, Pastor Jed, I like your message except for that cowboy part. I'm keeping receipts. And so I was like, <laughs> God bless your ministry. Anyways, um, back to Aaron Rodgers. So he, he goes to the Jets and, and it's a big deal and nine months of excitement and we're gonna make the Super Bowl and it's all gonna happen. And on the fourth play, he drops back and he goes down injured. And, and not just a small injury. And I, I watched how he reacted on the field and he kind of, you, you could just see his face fell. He knew that he was not just hurt, but really hurt. And I was like, man, I, I started to feel bad for him. 
Because I, I looked at him and I realized, okay, he just joined a club that I'm a member of. It's a club no one wants to be a member of. It's a club filled with elite athletes. Dan Marino, Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Jed Walker. Um, <laughs> see, two, two years ago, playing basketball, I tore my Achilles. And the moment that it happened, I knew this is a serious thing. The real problem was it was the day before my son's birthday. And so my wife was gonna be upset, not that she was worried about my well-being, but that I messed up and made things inconvenient. Cause it's like a, she's a loving person. I don't wanna paint the wrong picture. But, but 18 months, so you, you get a boot, you, you're on a scooter, you can't drive anywhere. It's, it's, everything is painful, everything in your life changes. And so having had that experience, I start watching Aaron and, and I felt this wave of compassion. And, and I, was, I just felt the desire to pray for him. God just bless him, encourage him, use this somehow for your glory. And God said to me, and he does, he speaks to me in these silly situations that may seem trivial, but he says, son, can you see all it takes is for you to see things right and it changes the way that you relate to others. If you could see yourself the way that I see you, instead of trying to defend or promote or justify, but see yourself as a human being created in the image of God, but not right on the basis of anything that you've done or that you know, but only right with me on the basis of my grace, how much more loving, how much more kind, how much more willing would you be to bring the outsider in? And I just said, I'm sorry, Jesus. Please don't take out the other Achilles to help me learn the lesson. <laughs> I'm listening. And I thought about how would I communicate that to you? And I would say this, here's what I want you to see from this story. We're all outsiders to Jesus. None of us are on the inside of a perfect God. Whether we're a Samaritan, whether we, we have a sickness, whether we're, we have leprosy, whatever our condition is, there's not a single one of us who's done enough righteous things, who've lived a good enough life, who've honored our traditions or obeyed the whims of culture to stand before God and say, I'm on the inside. The only way any of us can be in that place is by the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. And the great thing about Jesus is that he meets us where we are, but he never leaves us there. See, the cultural narrative is, don't feel bad about yourself. You're a good person. Your desires are good. Your truth is good. Live your truth. None of that will help you. Jesus' message is not, you're not an outsider. People just have been mean to you. Jesus' message is, though you have leprosy, sickness, disease, sin, traditions that have kept you from God, by my goodness and by my grace, if you'll receive me, I'll change your life. So before I pray for you, what, what does Jesus do to the person on the outside? Well, the first thing is, Jesus gives us a new and secure identity. Oh friends, it's so much better than people have been mean to you, so I'll be nice to you. It's so much better than, oh, you had a rough upbringing or you had difficult circumstances, not to minimize anyone's pain or circumstances. You know, I think so many of us, we relate to God in kind of a, we, we talked about this several weeks ago, that in case of emergency, break the glass and then reach out to him as if God's primary role was to get us out of our difficulty and jam. The goodness of God is so much greater than just helping you out of the ditch 
when you find yourself there. What he wants to do is show you who you really are and give you the power to live the life he's created you to live. I don't know if you've realized this or not, but every single one of us, whether we're intentional or, or, or focused on this or not, we all have an identity, a way we see ourselves, a way that we relate to the world. Maybe your identity is in your title or your position. Maybe you've climbed to a certain level of success. See, it's usually not a bad thing. Usually it's a good thing that ultimately we put our trust in that doesn't have the power to tell us and to show us who we are. Because no matter how successful you are, eventually that success will fade, that success will end. Your body will break down. We're all getting older. And if you trust in yourself, eventually you come to a moment where you realize, I am not enough. And it's painful. Now this goes completely against all of the leading and all of the whims of culture. I was thinking about it this week, whether you're, you, you can't escape this. Your social media feed, your podcast, your trainer at the gym if you have one of those, your coach if you have one of those, the ads that you look at, the books that you read, the television or movies that you watch, or the whatever you stream, whatever YouTube you watch, they all have a similar message, and the message is, believe in yourself. The message is, don't listen to anyone else. Be true to you, and it sounds so noble. Live your truth, live your life, and the problem is, it's terrible advice that they're ultimately not accountable for because it's what our hearts want to hear, but it has no power to truly change us. And the message of Jesus is so much greater than that. You know, I've read this story since I was a little kid, but in reading it this time, I saw something that I never saw before. Think about this. These lepers, these 10 men, we don't know how long they had leprosy. We don't know how old they were. But here's what we know. We know that what they had was a guaranteed death sentence. Your body parts literally start falling off. And so they quarantine them as a death sentence. You're gonna wait here until you die. And so when they come and say, Jesus, will you help them? Their first thought is, I don't wanna die. Can you keep me from death? Can you change this sentence that has been pronounced over my life? And because he's so good and because he's so loving, Jesus starts there, but he doesn't end there. I never thought about this. See, if you have a death sentence, you know what you don't think about? You don't think about a spouse, having a family, having kids. Life just becomes survival. You don't think about using your gifts to build a business. I think many of us, we, we have dreams and we're wondering what happened to those dreams. But when God comes to these lepers and he heals them, he doesn't just eliminate the death sentence, but he reopens the possibility that they could get married, they could have a family, they could go back and see their loved ones. Everything that had been broken and stolen from them could be restored. And McKinney, if you haven't realized it, the reason I'm belaboring this point is because it's the same Jesus with the same power who makes the same things possible to you and I. When Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't just remove the death sentence of sin. He makes it possible for you and I to live a life beyond our greatest dreams. if we'll receive him, if we'll acknowledge him, if we'll say, my whole life 
everything I have is yours, which leads us to the second thing he does. The second thing he does is he calls us to uncomfortable action. He always calls us to uncomfortable action. Do you see it there in the text? Look at what it says. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. That was an impossible command. You have leprosy. You're quarantined from a village in Samaria. They are not letting you anywhere near the temple where the priest was. And you, believe, you better believe every one of those lepers knew that. It was basically equivalent to be like Jesus saying, go lift a million pounds. And then be like, okay, Jesus. And they go to do it. It was impossible. There was no way for them to do it. But if they trusted him, if they listened to his voice above their pain, their circumstances, even their reality, what does the Bible say? As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were healed. Jesus hasn't changed how he relates to you and I. There is, I know it makes us uncomfortable, it creates questions. You're like, Jed, are you saying it was their fault or this fault? Or if I haven't gotten healed, is that because I haven't been willing to take uncomfortable action? I'm not saying it's directly, it's not a formula. It's not a do these three things and I guarantee you this will happen. But there is this pattern we can't deny that in every one of these situations, there's a participation, that is there, there's a demonstration of the actual trust. It's not a sit back cerebrally and watch. Maybe God will do it maybe he won't. It's, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I'm going to take a step, and I'm going to take another step, and I'm going to keep trusting in Jesus. If you ask me to follow, I'll follow. I don't know if it's working, but because you asked, I'm in. Here's what I know. You say, Jed, is that why? Or, I don't know that, but I do know this. People who are willing to follow Jesus that way, they live different. He does this in my life all the time. He did it yesterday. Chad, will you take the step? Ah, I don't know. It's not going to. Will you take the step? What if it doesn't work? It's not going to work. That doesn't make sense. Will you take the step? You say, hey, I, I don't know. Jesus never asked me that kind of stuff. Well, I would just ask you a simple question. If you're following a Jesus that never asks you to take uncomfortable steps, you may wanna ask yourself, is it really Jesus that I'm following? Here's the third thing. The third thing is this. Jesus invites us into gratitude. Look what it says in verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. He was the Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? We, we, we don't know what happened to the other nine. We don't know, but we, we know this one. He came back. Did, do you see what the text says there? Did you notice that? When he came back, praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet. Think about that. A man who lived the entirety of his adult life in quarantine, separated. All he could do was shout to Jesus from a distance. But after Jesus healed him, he wasn't, I'm keeping Jesus at a distance and shouting at him when I need him. He's like, I'm throwing myself at his feet because I want to be close to him. 
I don't know if Jesus has done something like that for you. The reason why I said he invites us into gratitude is no one can make someone else grateful for you. No one can force you to be grateful. And if you're a parent, you know this. We're in that same time of year, my youngest son, he, he's about to turn 13. And, and you know, as his dad, you want the best for him, so I'm constantly trying to train him. I feel myself all the time going, be grateful, be grateful. Doesn't work. I can't be grateful for him. He's turning 13. He's got size 12 feet, which is a problem because I have size 12 feet and I like shoes. And he's like, oh dad, all them shoes of yours? Oh yeah. I'm like, son, be grateful for what you have right now. Those are not your shoes. The Lord has blessed me with those shoes, but not you. And you be grateful for what you got. <laughs> this is a real issue, people. It's a real thing. But, but, but in my heart for him, I believe it's the same heart that God has for us. Why does Jesus invite us into gratitude? For us. Jesus doesn't need our gratitude. We need it. When I think about the healthiest spiritual moments of my life, when, when I think about when I've been closest to God, it's never been about look at me or what I've done or, or certainly not what I deserve. When I see myself as I really am before God, everything becomes a reason to be grateful. And it moves stress and anxiety and worry and, and competition and comparison. It drives those things out of my life and all that's left is this genuine love for Jesus that says, I can't believe that you would be so close to me. And he doesn't need that, I do. I, I wanna pray for you. And, and whether you're here at Keller or Hazard or McKinney, I, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what, what your need is. I, I don't know, maybe you feel on the outside, maybe you feel like you've put your identity in the wrong thing. Like so many of us, you listen to that narrative and you're like, well, I, I'm gonna be true to myself and I'm gonna follow my dreams and, and, and don't do it. Not because you don't have value and worth, but because you do. You're a child of God. And there is no identity that will sustain you like understanding not just who you are, but whose you are and how he made you and created you with the purpose. He gave you gifts that you could offer to serve others, not so that you could demand recognition, because no recognition from outside voices can satisfy your soul the way that the voice of the master and the one who created you, who wants to look at you and say, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. That's the gift of having a secure identity in Christ. Maybe it's a time for you to take an uncomfortable step Maybe you've been stuck in that same spot, feeling the outside, and Jesus is saying, I'm asking you to take a step. And you're like, but what about this? Will you take the step? Or maybe, maybe you're like the nine. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to be like the one. To, to not say, well, I, I did this and I did that, but to recognize, God, everything I have in my life is a gift. I'm so grateful. The ability to see ourselves in any one of those situations is a gift in and of itself. It's a miracle. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for your presence. You don't leave us on the outside. You come to us. When all we could do would shout to you, you come close enough that we could 
touch you. So God, I'm praying for every person here. Maybe you're here and you didn't know that was the message of Jesus. You thought like so many others, the, the cultural idea that being a follower of Christ is about doing more spiritual good things than bad things, and if you do more than most people, God will receive you. It's not, it's so much better than that. On your worst day, when you felt like the biggest failure and you felt furthest from God in his grace and his mercy, he invites you into, your pre into his presence, into his kingdom, if you just receive him. Just there in your own words, just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I acknowledge the things that I've done that are wrong. I, I want you to forgive me. Will you receive me? I, I want you to be my Jesus. Just make it your own words. And right there, he'll enter into a relationship with you. Maybe you've prayed that prayer. And for you today is a day to take a step or to be grateful. God, wherever we're at in our situation, Lord, I pray that we would have the ability to see ourselves the way that you see us so that we could move closer to you and experience your miracle power in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.